Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. What I'd like to do, if I could just very briefly, is walk you through Passion Week. A lot of people call it Holy Week, but I like to call it Passion Week because the, the writer of, of Acts, Luke, called it his passion. And today I just want to start with day number one of Passion Week, and that is on Sunday, a couple thousand years ago, the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday. And on this Sunday, before the death of our Lord, Jesus began his trip to Jerusalem. He knew that soon he would have to pay and die for the sins of the world. He came to a village of Bethphage, and he sent two of his disciples ahead, telling them to go look for a donkey and its unbroken colt. The disciples were instructed to untie the animals and bring them to him. Then Jesus sat on the young donkey and slowly, humbly, made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that fulfilled the words of Zechariah the prophet in chapter 9 when he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes in the, unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. On that day, the crowds, as we saw last week with Brother Dave and some of his children, they were waving palm branches in the air and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. On Palm Sunday, Jesus and the disciples spent the night in Bethany, the Bible says. By the way, a little town about two miles east of Jerusalem. And this is where we read in the Gospels of Lazarus and how Jesus called him from the tomb and he came out. And also his two sisters, that is Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, that's where they all lived. And they were close friends of the Lord and probably most likely hosted him and his disciples during the final days of his life. Day number two is on Monday, 2,000 years ago. It's when Jesus went back to Jerusalem and cleared out the temple. On the following morning, Jesus returned with his disciples to Jerusalem. Along the way, he cursed a fig tree because it failed to bear fruit. Some scholars believe this cursing of the fig tree represented God's judgment on the spiritually dead religious leaders of Israel. Others believe the symbolism extended to all believers, demonstrating that genuine faith is more than just outward religiosity. In other words, here, here's the idea I want to convey to you. That living faith has to bear spiritual fruit in a person's life. When Jesus arrived at the temple, he found the courts full of corrupt money changers. I want you to know that they did not use their facility to raise money for an expanded addition to the temple. They were not using this to raise money for missions. They were using the temple, the place of worship, as a means to make money in their own 
individual pockets. And so Jesus was furious at how they could use that place of worship as a place of embezzlement. And so Jesus marched in, flipped over the tables, and he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. On Monday evening, Jesus stayed in Bethany again, probably in the house of his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. On Tuesday, Jesus went to a mountain called the Mount of Olives. And on that morning, his disciples came along with him back to Jerusalem. They passed the withered fig tree on the way, and Jesus spoke to his companions about the importance of faith. Back at the temple, though, the religious leaders were extremely upset at Jesus for establishing himself as a spiritual authority. They organized an ambush with the intent to place him under arrest. But Jesus, because he is almighty God in flesh, escaped all of their subtlety and all of their deception to trap him. And instead of them trapping him, they received a judgment from our Lord. And he said these words in Matthew 23. He said, you blind guides, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchers, or in other words, graves, which indeed appeared beautiful outwardly, but are full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You serpents, generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Later that afternoon, Jesus left the city and went with his disciples to the Mount of Olives, which sits due east of the temple and overlooks Jerusalem. It was on this mountain that Jesus delivered his Olivet Discourse. And it's interesting, as Jesus was asked so many questions throughout his life, this was the longest response recorded in the Gospels. And on the Mount of Olives, the disciples said, Hey, Lord, um, when are you going to establish your kingdom and your coming? And what will be the signs of the end of the world? And Jesus said, You're going to see false Christ or false messiahs, people claiming to be me, arise. In other words, deception. He said, You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. But he said, See that you be not troubled. He said there's going to be famines. He said there's going to be earthquakes. And he said there's going to be diseases. And he said all these are the beginning of sorrows. And they have to come to pass. He then transitions and elaborates on the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. How the Antichrist would come and try to establish himself to be God in the temple. And demand worship in the tribulational period. He goes on to elaborate his second coming and how he's going to come and bring judgment, not peace like when he did marching into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, but he come and bring judgment to the world and then gather the elect, the Bible says, that are living in the world to then establish his kingdom. And he said, of that day and hour, knows no man, he elaborated to the disciples. He spoke also in that chapter, Matthew 24, as usual in parables, using the symbolic language about the end times event, including his second coming and the final judgment. The Bible indicates that on this Tuesday was also the very single day as Jesus was on the Mount of Olives preaching. 
Judas Iscariot was in the back scenes plotting a plan to kill him. After a very tiring day of confrontation and warnings about the future, once again our Lord Jesus Christ, along with his disciples, returned to Bethany to stay the night. On Wednesday, Holy Wednesday they call it, is the only day of Passion Week that the Bible is silent. And the Bible offers us nothing about the Lord and what he did. Scholars have speculated that after two exhausting days in Jerusalem, that Jesus, along with his disciples, spent that day of rest in Bethany, anticipating the Passover celebration. Just a short time previously, Jesus had already revealed to his disciples and to the entire world that he had power over death by rising Lazarus from the grave. After seeing this incredible miracle, many people who lived in Bethany, that same town, believed that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, that is the Son of God, and put their faith in him. Also in Bethany, just a few nights earlier, Lazarus' sister, Mary, lovingly anointed the feet of our Lord with some of the most expensive perfume of the day. Day five is what we call Maundy Thursday. And it was the day of Passover and the Last Supper. But this day takes a turn to instead of happiness, it takes a time of somberness. From Bethany, Jesus sent Peter and John to the upper room in Jerusalem. And I've stood there in the place that we think they might have gathered. He sent them ahead to prepare the Passover feast. That evening after sunset, Jesus washed the disciples' feet as they prepared to share in the Passover. By performing this humble act of service, it's so interesting that Jesus washed somebody else's feet. Have you ever washed somebody's feet before? It's the most interesting practice that you could ever partake in. And so in doing so, he demonstrated his great love to them. In Luke's gospel, the Bible says that Jesus shared these words. With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. As the Lamb of God, Jesus was about to fulfill the meaning of Passover by giving his body to be broken and his blood to be shed and sacrifice on the cross, which, by the way, frees us from sin and frees us from death. During this last supper, Jesus established what we call the Lord's Supper or also communion, instructing all believers who follow him to do in like manner, commemorating his sacrifice where they took his body and nailed him to the cross and the blood that was shed. After they had communion, and partook in the elements of the bread and the wine. The Bible says that they left the upper room and went to a garden. And I've stood in that garden. And as I stood in that garden, I, 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 I had no words to say. I was in such awe 
that in a place like that is the exact moment, we think, the exact area in Jerusalem where Jesus prayed in such a manner that drops of blood came off his head. And while he was there, Judas Iscariot, along with some of the other Sanhedrin, come, and Judas kisses the Son of God to deliver to the others with him that this was the Messiah, Jesus, the alleged Son of God. And after that, he was taken to the home of Caiaphas, that is the high priest, where the whole council had gathered to begin making their case against Jesus. Meanwhile, in the early morning hours as Jesus was on trial and all that was getting underway, Peter denied knowing him three times before the Bible says that rooster crowed. Day six is probably the saddest day of Passion Week. That is the, the extensive trial, the brutal crucifixion, the gruesome death, and the burial on Good Friday. Just a side note, some people think he died on Wednesday, some people think he died on Thursday, and some people think he died on Friday. Really, it doesn't matter exactly which day he died. What matters is the fact that he did die, and he paid the penalty for our sins. Christ's journey on Passion Week turned to treacherous and actually quite painful in the final hours until his death. According to the words of Scripture, the Bible says Judas Iscariot, the disciple who, who betrayed Jesus, was consumed with guilt, consumed with such remorse that he went out and hung himself. It was the, ninth, the 9, 9 a.m. or the third hour. Jesus endured the shame of the false accusations, the condemnation, the mockery, the beatings, and the abandonment. And after un, many unlawful trials, he was sent to death by crucifixion. The most gruesome, I believe, way to die throughout all history within capital punishment. Before Jesus was led away, the soldiers spit on him. They tormented him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him and they scoffed him and pierced him with a crown of thorns. Then Jesus carried his own cross to Calvary where again he was mocked and insulted as the Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross. It's interesting, the Bible says that there were seven sayings that he said while on the cross. I wanted to share them with you. In Luke's gospel, he said, Father, forgive them, for I know not what they do. Verily I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, he said to one of the malefactors hanging there with him. In John's gospel, he said, Woman, behold thy son. And he looked to a disciple and said, Behold thy mother. In Matthew and Mark, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In John, he said, I thirst. In John 19, verse 30, he said, It is finished. And I want you to know this, that when Jesus said it was finished, the sacrificial lamb of God came and died so that we would not have to sacrifice any more lambs. And in Luke's gospel, the seventh and final saying, it says, Father... Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Then at the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m. on Good Friday, Jesus breathed his last and final breath and gave up the ghost. 
By 6 p.m. on Friday evening, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus and laid, excuse me, took the body of Jesus from down from the cross and then laid him in a tomb. On Saturday, I'm sure you could imagine that Nicodemus, by the way, and Joseph of Arimathea, they were closet followers of Jesus Christ. But they had so much faith in him, they could not stay silent any longer. And as members of the Sanhedrin, they risked their, even, they risked their very life displaying of taking him down from the cross. And on day Saturday, day number seven, Jesus' body was placed in a borrowed tomb. The king of all the world came in humbly on a donkey and didn't even have his own place of rest. The guards stood beside that cemetery and that grave site. The Roman soldiers throughout the entire day on Saturday, which is, of course, the Sabbath day on the Jewish calendar. And when the Sabbath ended at 6 p.m. on Saturday, the Bible says that Christ's body was ceremonially treated for burial with spices purchased by Nicodemus. And we read that in John's Gospel, chapter 19. Nicodemus, as I shared earlier, was part, and Joseph was part of the Sanhedrin, the very court that condemned Jesus Christ. But they loved him. Similarly, both of these individuals were affected by Christ's death. And they came out of hiding that day. They came out of the closets to display their love and affection and their devotion to the Son of God. Peter says about the sacrifice and penalty for sin by Jesus. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Day eight is the day that we are gathered here today to look back and honor and celebrate. And that is Resurrection Sunday. On this day, 2,000 years ago, we reached a culmination of Passion Week, or Holy Week as they say, where death might have taken Jesus for a time, but didn't grip him forever. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the way, is the most important aspect of the very words of God and the Christian faith. If you do not believe that Jesus rose from the grave, you are not a Christian. If you do not believe that Jesus walked out of that tomb, you are not a follower and disciple of Jesus. It's interesting, there were some women who gathered around that cemetery that day, which was probably not custom for women to be sharing the message about the Messiah and his resurrection, but Jesus in his infinite love and mercy and grace towards women allows women to be the first ones to make known the glorious news that Jesus rose victoriously from the grave. They came early Sunday morning, both Marys, and they saw that the stone was rolled away, and the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said, come and see where the Lord lay. On that day of his resurrection, we are told that Jesus made 
at least five different appearances to his followers. The Gospel of Mark tells us that the first person to see him was Mary Magdalene. Jesus also appeared to Peter, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and later that day to all the disciples except Thomas while they gathered in a house for prayer. We are told that Thomas said, except I see his hands and his wrist, I will not believe he rose. And so the Gospel of John elaborates and tells us that when Jesus saw John, he said, give me your hands and placed them into his hands and on his side. And he said, my Lord and my God. The eyewitness accounts of the Gospels provide us the evidence needed to believe that Jesus Christ defeated death, defeated hell, and defeated the grave. And because he did that, my friends, because he did that, church, we get to live again with him in all eternity. You see, Herod, when Jesus was just a little infant, tried to slay him, but he could not. You see, when he was alive, the Pharisees tried to rebuke him, but they could not rebuke the Son of God. The Sadducees tried to question him and trip him up with his words, but they could not because he was the omniscient, all-knowing God of the universe. The Jews sought to reject him, and they did. And they drove him to the cross. And when they brought him before Pilate, Pilate said, I have nothing to do with this just man, and washed his hands of the innocent blood. And there they took him to the cross and nailed him and threw him in a tomb. But I'm here to tell you, church, the grave could not hold him any longer. And give God the glory, he walked out of that cemetery that day. And because he lives, as the songwriter said, we can face tomorrow. And because he lives, church, I believe he can wipe away every sorrow we've ever experienced, every emotional sorrow, every physical sorrow, and every spiritual sorrow. So if you're here today, or if you're listening online, and you don't know this Jesus personally, I say it's time to get to know him. I want to tell you something, that this day goes down to remembrance for the rest of our lives, that we'll probably never have an Easter Sunday like this one. I mean, who would have thought that a disease would swipe our, our, not only our nation, but our entire world and give us great fear, give us great anxiety. But I want you to know that just as back in the days of Moses, when the Israelites took the blood of the lamb and covered the doorposts and that death angel, we, we read about how he came and had mercy on those houses. I believe that throughout this day, throughout this season, Jesus can have his mercy on our country and world today and spare our very lives. Today, I do not fear death. Today, I do not fear disease because Jesus overcame it all on the cross 2,000 years ago. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Sure, I didn't think I'd be preaching in the back of a pickup truck and looking at all of you in your vehicles today. But all the efforts, perhaps, of Satan trying to diminish trying to stop the message of the gospel. Even in the days of Christ, he was at work through the Pharisees and scribes in the Sanhedrin. But he could not overcome. And today, Satan perhaps might be trying to silence the message of the gospel. But I want you to know this. Hear me well today. 
Satan might be able to take away our facilities. Satan might be able to take away the internet. Satan might be able to take away our lives. But he will never, ever stop or silence the message of the cross. Today, my friends, we celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection. But my question for you today is, do you celebrate it because it's just a national holiday? Or do you celebrate it because it's a personal holy day? You see, the question is, is if you die today, would you spend eternity with Jesus Christ as Savior? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.